names, but uh, Reverend Alan Lee was a great pastor and uh, the church did well and I really appreciated uh, the fellowship and the encouragement. And see, being at a boys' boarding school, of course, it was nice going to church where there were some girls. Because <laughs> uh, that wasn't the reason I went to church. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we, we, uh, it was a great, great time. And uh, so anyway... Um, I bring, I'm a member of uh, Baptist Church in, uh, in Brisbane, a, a Sunny Mac District Baptist Church, and uh, so I can bring you their greetings. But I'm not here as a Baptist, I'm here as the uh, Managing Director of Creation Ministries International. And uh, so uh, we go to all sorts of churches. And uh, so our topic this morning is Creation, the Key to the Gospel. And the song we just sang is actually very relevant to what I'm going to talk about. We, t- we sang in that song, if you remember the words... How about we ask God for faith to believe him and trust, trust what he says and we also said to believe he's good, right? There's two things. Those two things are very relevant to what I'm talking about this morning because a lot of people don't trust the word of God because of this evolutionary indoctrination that we get hammered with all the time. Now, I guess just about everybody here would believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that's the first verse of the Bible, of course, and uh, that passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 we just read spoke about that, that in the, in the latter days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires and being willfully ignorant of two things, that God created the world and he destroyed the world with a flood. And we'll be talking about that this morning. So this other view, this evolutionary view, uh, is summarised by this guy who was head of UNESCO uh, for some years. He said, in the evolutionary pattern of thought, this way of thinking... There is no longer either need or room for the supernatural. The earth was not created, it evolved. So do all the animals and plants that inhabit it, including our human cells, mind and soul, as well as brain and body, so do religion. So we invented God, God didn't invent us. This is the view that permeates our society today. In fact, it's everywhere. You think about it's in the schools. In fact, even the Christian schools are being forced by the state government to teach evolution to the exclusion of anything else in science classes. Uh, inspectors are going around and, and telling the schools that if you don't agree to actually not teach creation in science classes and teach only evolution, we won't register you or deregister you. And it was deregistration means you, you lose everything, you lose your government funding and so on. And uh, so, uh, so this is even coming pushed, being pushed into the Christian schools. The universities, of course, uh, sorry, the universities... Uh, of course you hear about God creating things at the university, don't you? <laughs> you laugh. You, you're at university, are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, nature documentaries. David Attenborough, doesn't he talk about God creating things? National parks. You go and see the interpretive sign. What does it say? Look at the wonderful creation of God. Is that what it said the national? It says, look at what happened millions of years of, of, of natural process that produced this that had nothing to do with God. This is the implication. The newspapers, women's magazines, you know, why is your husband unfaithful? Because of his ape ancestry. <laughs> museums. Now, museums should be a great place to see the glory of God and in fact you can see the glory of God in the museums but is that what the signs say? No. They attribute it all to evolution, millions of years. God didn't have anything to do with it. It all just made itself. And what's the consequence of this? Evolution is actually an atheistic idea. It's a way of getting rid of God. It's not how God created everything. It's how it all came to be without God. That's the whole point of it. And this guy was at Cornell University, professor of biology, and he said this. He said, evolution is the greatest engine of atheism ever invented. Evolution is the greatest engine of atheism ever invented. In other words, you teach evolution, you're teaching atheism. Atheism needs evolution. If you're going to be an atheist, of course you don't believe in a creator, how did everything come to be? Evolution. And I'm talking about cosmic evolution. You know, the universe burst into something from absolutely nothing. Nothing exploded and became everything. You're a cosmic accident. You're a result of the banging together of atoms over billions of years that came from the Big Bang. That's what they teach. Isn't that what they teach? Absolutely. This is what our kids have been exposed to all the time and God has been kicked out. 
And uh, most states now, we don't even have a religious education or religious instruction. And uh, it's, it's disappearing. And so kids get nothing. They get just get evolution. No, no exposure to the things of God at all. <coughs> Unless a street preacher or somebody witnesses to them. Anybody involved in street preaching, witnessing? Yeah, it's usually somebody does it. Anyway. But if you take on board what we're talking about this morning, you'll be equipped to street preach because this is one of the biggest things that comes up all the time when you try to share your faith. I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Exactly right. But see, they think that science, because of the way they've been taught about evolution and everything, they think it's got rid of God. Because Christians actually developed science, but that's another story. So atheism needs evolution. It needs, needs Darwin. Here's a, a billboard put up by the atheists in, in, in America, in Arizona. And they paid. The atheists actually pay for this sort of stuff, the billboard saying, praise Darwin, evolve beyond belief. Of course, evolve beyond Christian belief. Evolve beyond believing in God. And uh, because this has happened in our country, we see a growth of atheism. Now, if you don't relate to uh, graphs, it's all right. It's the only one I've got in the whole talk. So uh, just, just relax and I'll explain it to you. So here we have 1901 through to 2016. This is a census data on the number of people who say they have no religion. In other words, they're atheists um, of some description. They don't believe in God. So back to 1901 through to 1960s, there's almost no atheists. People my age, when we were kids, I'm not really sure I knew what an atheist was. Um, but look what's happened since the 1960s. About a third of people now say they're atheists overall. If you ask young people in middle high school, year 10, year 11, half of them say they're atheists. And then you ask the other half, you think, that's pretty good, half don't, are not atheists, that means they believe in the Bible. No, no, no. <laughs> of the rest of them, what do they believe? Well, about a third of the 100, uh, 30% say they believe in the force. Any, any Star Wars fans? They believe in the force. That's not Christianity. So that doesn't leave too many that could be believing something to do with the Bible, does it? You see our country's a mess. Anybody notice that? Has it got anything to do with this? Everything. It's destroying our country. What happened, what happened in the 1960s? Why, why, this, why all this static you know, and then suddenly this takes off? What happened? In 1962, in New South Wales, I brought in the Wyndham scheme, a total restructuring the whole education system, and they brought in evolution into the schools so that every child gets taught evolution. Prior to that, if you wanted to get, the only way you could get some evolution is to do senior biology in high school. You think it's got something to do with it? It's got a lot to do with it. And so this, uh, they've been trying to do this for decades. Secularists, that's the atheists, the people who want to force atheism on our country, they were trying for decades to get this into the schools and they finally got it in the 1960s. You know why they got it in the 1960s? Because by then the churches had become corrupted with liberal theology. You know what liberal theology is? It's evolution applied to the Bible. And so they, the churches, all the big churches, you know, Methodists, that became the Uniting Church, the Methodists, the Anglicans, the Catholics, everybody. They, they virtually, right across the board, with a few exceptions, they've become evolutionised. And so when the, when, the, when the education department brought this in, oh, it's all right, we're cool, we're, we're, you know, we're respectable, we believe in science, and they just let it happen. They could have stopped it because they had the power then to stop it. The churches had very, a great authority in the country, but they were losing the plot and they left it and they did nothing about it. Look at what have happened. Look what's happened since. This guy here, Albert Moller, Dr. Albert Moller is the head of the largest Baptist seminary in the world in Kentucky, Bible College. And he said this, he said, evolution is the great intellectual rival to Christianity in the Western world. It is the creation myth of the secular elites and their intellectual weapon of choice in public debate. Is this a side issue? Is this a secondary matter that doesn't matter that we can just put aside? It's front and centre of the culture war that's happening in our country. It's front and centre of the resistance to the gospel that we see in so many people. 
They think they can do away with God because science has done so. It hasn't. And we'll deal with a bit of science today which shows in fact that this is, is as he says, it's a myth. It's actually a creation myth that people who don't want to believe in God have taken on board. And their universities are riddled with it. Now, why is it that evolution destroys faith? Well, anybody who's read anything of the Bible knows it doesn't go with the Bible. And young people know particularly that if you think about evolution and what it all means, if you think about the millions of years, for example, they were in the rock layers. And in the rock layers we find fossils, which are the remains of once living things, and the fossils are a record of pain, death, killing, disease, thorns, struggle for survival, suffering and extinction over hundreds of millions of years before people came on the scene. But the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 when God finished creating everything, after he created the people, he said everything was very good. In that song we sang a while ago, help us to understand that God is good. Remember? Is God good? Did God create a world of death and suffering and disease? Because if God used evolution to create everything, which some of our theological colleges are pushing this idea, including our own Baptist college, if God used evolution to create everything, then God is not good. Because that's a process of survival of the fittest, struggle for survival, death of the unfit, sickness and disease and everything else over hundreds of millions of years before people came on the scene. God said everything was very good. Here's the Garden of Eden. It's a wonderful paradise. How do people put these two things together? As a young Christian, I tried to put them together because I didn't know any better. I tried to believe in evolution and the Bible. How do you do that? Well, you misquote scripture by saying things like, well, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. The passage of scripture we had a while ago referred to that. That's not referring to the meaning of days in creation week. It's referring to the fact that God is outside of time because the next part says, with the Lord a thousand years are like a day. Right? So every time we see a thousand years, it's meant to be translated as a day. Is that right? No, it doesn't mean that. It means God's outside of time. You know? So to us, what seems like a long time to God is nothing you know? because he's in eternity. That's what it's talking about. The days in Genesis chapter 1 are defined. There's evening, morning, day one. Evening, morning, a second day. Evening, morning, a third day. Do they sound like long periods of time? If God meant us to understand them as millions or billions of years, he really messed up with the communication. In fact, it's the basis of a seven-day week. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, God wrote on stone, I created the heavens, the earth, the seas and everything in them in six days and rest on the seventh. So you had to work for six and rest on the seventh the Sabbath commandment given to the children of Israel. The basis of the, whole, the, basis of the week is God the stuff in a week. can't be clearer, can it? And why didn't I believe it? Because I thought science trumped the Bible. It doesn't. Who was there in the beginning? God. Anybody else? No. God told us what happened. Are we going to believe him or are we going to believe man? I don't care how many doctorates you have or whether you're a professor at university, God knows more than you do. And we we, we defer to these professors and things but we we, we nullify the word of God. I can't believe I did it, but I did it. I didn't know any better. I didn't have any pastors who could answer these questions. We're answering some of these questions this morning. So here's the thing. All these schemes, days are long periods of time, it's, it's poetry, it's not poetry, it's written as history. Uh, you know, it's a different genre of literature. You know, you've got to understand ancient Near Eastern uh, culture to understand how to understand Genesis. They didn't mean history like we mean history. But all these things are designed to enable us to not believe God's word. That's what they're about. And our Bible colleges are riddled with it, sadly. And it's so disappointing to see uh, Bible colleges who once taught clearly from the Bible now compromising with this stuff. See, all of those schemes, and there are others like the literary theory, and, and nearly all these things have been invented in the last 200 years because prior to that everybody understood what it meant. 
because they weren't trying to marry it with so-called science. And here's the thing. All these schemes put death and suffering and disease under the feet of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and God is not good. No, that's not the real history. The real history of the world is that God created everything very good and the death, suffering and disease came with sin in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. And the New Testament refers to this. Adam sinned and brought death and suffering and disease into the world. It wasn't here before, people. First, uh, First Corinthians chapter 15 refers to, it says this, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive. In Adam, put up your hand if you're human. About 60%, that's below average. <laughs> we're all in Adam because we're all descendants of Adam. We all confirm what Adam did by our own sin, so we deserve to die for our own sin, but fundamentally Adam brought death and suffering into the world through sin. He was the federal head of the human race. The first Adam, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, refers to the first Adam and the last Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. Jesus is the head of the new, new human race who are born again of the Holy Spirit, the forgiven people of God. Forgiven for what Adam did, but what we do also, our own sin, because of what Jesus did in the cross. You see, if the first Adam is some sort of metaphor, which is what our theological colleges, many of them teaching, then there's no need for Jesus to die on the cross because Jesus didn't die because of a metaphor. Jesus died because there was a real man called Adam who really lived in a garden and it was in fellowship with God. He, he, he disobeyed and brought death and suffering into the world. From dust you came and dust you returned. They're the words spoken at the funeral service, aren't they? Where did death come from? The garden in Genesis chapter 3. Death is an intruder in God's good world. Death is called an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is not a good thing, it's an enemy. It's a consequence of sin. That's why Jesus died bodily on the cross because bodily death came through sin. That's why he raised from the dead because he conquered death, physical death. When I was trying to believe in evolution in the Bible, what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Spiritual death, separation from God. Yes, there was spiritual death, separation from God, but there was also physical death. Physical death is a consequence of sin. Anybody think death's a good thing? Well, what happens after death might be a good thing, but death's not a good thing. It's the last enemy. And so young people know full well, if they know anything about the Bible, that evolution and the Bible don't go together. Millions of years and the Bible don't go together. It undermines everything. And uh, consequently, you see there's a big fallout from the churches. Even young people brought up in the church go off to university and they lose interest in things of God unless their churches have prepared, prepared them for this. And uh, our sister ministry in Atlanta in the United States did a survey at, at the university campus there. And in, in Atlanta, it's not hard to find uh, students at university who have been brought up in the church because I don't know if you've ever been to the south of the US, but there's a church on every corner and they're Baptist churches. And they've got plenty of people attending them. So a lot of young people get brought up in the church but they go off to university and a lot of them drop out. In fact, the Southern Baptists reckon 88% drop out. 88% drop out. Other surveys show 60%. Does, are either figure okay? Yeah, I guess you know young people have done that. Gone off to university and they come, oh, I don't believe that stuff anymore. Mum, Dad, I don't want to go to church with you. And we've all seen it. So this uh, documentary they did on this, they, they asked the young people, uh, are you still involved with your church? Yes or no? The ones that said no, why not? Every one of them said it was something to do with the teaching of evolution. Millions of years or eight men or whatever. Did your church have anything teaching you about these things and how to think about them? No. Nothing. Another group were the ones who were still involved with their churches. Did your church have anything helping you to think about these things? Yes, except for one young lady. And she'd probably find her information, found her information through other sources. 
because there's lots of available stuff today. When I was trying to struggle with these things, there wasn't anything. There was no internet. And uh, you, uh, there, was, there was one or two books, but there was virtually nothing for help. This could have caught the church on the flat foot. So today is a stack, stacks of material. So God bless this church, that uh, your pastor, your team, your leadership are on the page. They realise the importance of this and so uh, they've invited us to come and speak and to help you. But, but you've got to take it beyond what I'm doing because I can't answer all the questions today. You don't have, a, you don't have enough sitting power and I don't have enough voice to actually cover everything in one session. You know? So I'm just going to touch upon a few things, a bit of a window, and point you to some resources. Now, one of the greatest resources we have is Creation Magazine. Each family today, each household should have received a free magazine. Uh, we've got, put up your hand if you didn't get a magazine, if you're, if, if you're a, a household. Anybody, everybody got one? Oh, uh, Ray's done a good job. <laughs> so you, you all got one, that's great. Because we've got supporters who've seen the importance of this issue in their own families and the value of Creation Magazine in raising their children and they've donated money to help us give away magazines because they want people to actually subscribe to the magazine. And there's a pen there with the magazine uh, and I'll show you what the pen's for in a minute. But the magazine's free. You can take that, no, no, uh, no, no, uh, uh, no obligation. There's also the website. There's stacks and stacks of material on the website. This is an article on the website this weekend. Uh, is Genesis poetic? It's not. It's actually written as history. And uh, anybody who says that to you doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, but it's very easy to remember the website, creation.com. Okay? Anything, anybody not be able to remember that? Um, and there's, only, there's over 11,000 articles on the website. There's over 700 videos. There's just stacks of material from children's material right through to university level stuff. Uh, you name it. It's amazing what's on there. I, I, I'm very familiar with it, but I'm still amazed. Sometimes I think somebody asks a question and I wonder if there's something on creation.com. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. It's there. It's amazing what's on there. And because six days out of seven there's new material, uh, people are busy and uh, they miss, perhaps miss important things, we put out a, a little uh, email news called Infobytes. And Infobytes gives you a bit of a digest of the stuff over the last week or so and uh, a bit of a summary and you can choose what you'd like to go and have a read of and have a look at. And uh, So who gets Infobytes? A number of people probably already get... Okay, God bless you. So... Uh, and, and there might be even people here today because Infobytes has told you about this morning. So you can actually, on your seats, there's uh, probably sitting on them or on the floor or you push it aside, there's little slips of paper called Did You Know? And there's little nerdy things in the back of these. But um, on the back of it, you can actually sign up for Infobytes. And uh, when you get your first Infobytes from us, you'll also get a, a link. You can download a video. This video is Creatures Do Change But It's Not Evolution which by me, but uh, sometimes we put, we put other people on there as well. But also an introductory, you can get the Creation 101 introductory series uh, too. You can do that if you like. But uh, anyway, obligation free, but you, the free download, it's usually $6.50 for that download. And uh, you can fill in your details there, your postcode, so we can throw rocks in your roof. No, no, so we can tell you about things that happen in this area. So if something's coming up uh, in this area in the future, uh, we can tell you about that, a seminar or a conference or whatever. Uh, we can tell you about that. So if you can use the pen that came with the magazine, right, you can fill in this, right, and if you do that now, we will collect those in a few minutes because that way you don't leave them lying around the place and somebody else uh, gets your email address you'd rather not perhaps than have it. So uh, if you fill that out now, we'll collect them in a couple of minutes' time, uh, Ray and Drew. Ray and Drew... Buescher up the back there, you've probably already seen them as you came in, they're volunteers and they're here today to help, they live locally and um, not right here but in Sydney I mean and uh, so, so say hello to them afterwards and they'll collect those in a couple of minutes time uh, after you fill it in. So there's also a stack of other materials and you'll see those if you go out for a cup of tea afterwards and I won't mention those in any detail now but there's uh, stacks of material, videos and documentaries and children's material and, and uh, technical material, you name it, it's all there. 
I want to say one of the things that really helps me, helped me and helped many people is to understand when we talk about science, we're really normally talking about operational science or experimental science or how the world operates. So science actually studies how things work, what causes disease, how to prevent disease, technology, uh, things like computers and data projectors and all the other stuff that we benefit from in modern life comes from science. Science is a wonderful enterprise. I'm not anti-science. Uh, in fact, I did 17 years of, or uh, actually 20 years of full-time research, uh, in, which I really enjoyed doing, in plant biology, working on things like lychees, mangoes, custard apples, really enjoyable eating the fruits of my labour. And uh, so this, this involves doing observable, repeatable experiments in the present. And that contrasts with a different sort of science called historical science or forensic science where you get evidence in the present and you're making up a story about what happened in the past. So if you've got those little slips of uh, paper with the uh, Infobyte sign-ups on them, if you can collect those, oh, right, okay, so you're going to collect them, uh, Ed. So Ed, Ed's another volunteer. He's actually, he and his wife are actually hosting me for the weekend, God bless them, even feeding me as well. That's good. So, um, so there, just pass them to the end of the row and they'll collect them. So this uh, historical science, uh, you get a fossil in the present and they make up a story about what happened in the past. Well, you know, this uh, fossil belonged to the creature which was to grow legs and walked out in the land and became our ancestor 300 million years ago. Is that, is that something you can do an experiment on? Is that something you can observe? Is that something somebody did see happen? None of those things. So how does it even qualify as science? The only experiment you can do is you can do it, analyse the bones and that tells you some interesting things but it actually doesn't tell you 300 million years or anything like that. And uh, this is a story they've made up to try and explain the origin of everything on earth. See, this is not observable, not repeatable. Experiments are not possible in the past. You don't have a time machine. So there's a fundamental difference here. Science studies the repeatable. History studies the unrepeatable. What are we doing teaching history in science class? They put it in science class because it gives it authority and it makes it more believable. That's why they put it in science class. What about dinosaurs, for example? People are hung up about dinosaurs. Where do you put dinosaurs into the Bible? We get asked. Well, when I read my Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it says that God created land animals on day 6 of creation week. Land animals would have been uh, included dinosaurs and, he, and also on day 6 of creation week he created man and woman. Male and female, he created them in his image. That would mean on day 6 and says it's evening, morning, the sixth day. In other words, the dinosaurs and the people live together. Straightforward reading of Genesis. I didn't always believe it like that, but I do now. So, in other words, Fred Flintstone cartoons are accurate. What was the name of the dinosaur in Fred Flintstone dinosaur? Uh, uh, Fred Flintstone. Dino. That was imaginative, wasn't it? <coughs> Is there any evidence that dinosaurs and people have lived together? Indeed so. This is actually a cylinder seal found in the Middle East predating Jesus and when the cylinder seal was rolled into wax it produced a, a pattern like this. What's that creature? It's a very good representation of what a dinosaur, a sauropod dinosaur, but it's, it's actually sufficiently detailed to recognise that it's probably this one, Panastrophius, that we know of from fossils. This is an image coming from JurassicParkWikia.com. It wasn't one I got our artists to draw it looking the same. There's actually many, many examples of art that show that people and dinosaurs have lived together. Here's a little hint. Before 1841, nobody would have called them dinosaurs in English because the word wasn't invented until 1841. Before 1841, they were called dragons. Many of the dragon stories we have, not all dragon stories are dinosaurs, but many of the dragon stories are dinosaurs. Clearly, they are recognisable as dinosaurs. So where do dinosaurs come from? Well, they came from evolution. God didn't create them. Evolution made everything, you see. Evolution made us. In fact, dinosaurs and humans both came from worms. <coughs> True. Now, worms are supposed to be the ancestors of all 
are creatures with a backbone. That includes dinosaurs and snakes and birds and fish and us. All came from worms. And the worms came from bacteria that made themselves in the big big pond on earth uh, many billions of years ago. What is the evidence that worms could change into people and dinosaurs and birds and everything else? Well, it all comes down to uh, things like this in the school and university textbooks. This is uh, the, the Darwin's finches. Darwin uh, made these rather famous. The Galapagos Islands, he noticed there were different sorts of beaks on the finches and different sorts of beaks seem to be adapted to different sorts of food. And these have been studied at great detail in more recent years by biologists. And the story goes like this. There are probably some finches blown across to the Galapagos Islands from South America and from those finches we have all these different species of finch today adapted to different sorts of food. And so depending on the seasonal availability of food depends on how the finches do well or don't do well, whether the population builds up or dies down and so consequently the population of different sorts of finches varies up and down depending on the availability of food. So we talk about adaptation here, we talk about natural selection happening, we talk about speciation happening. I don't have a problem with the story. Oh, you believe in evolution? No, it's not evolution. Varieties of finches only shows you get varieties of finches. It doesn't show they came from a T-Rex, which is what they claim. T-Rex-like creature gave rise to birds. That's the latest fashion. You see, variety in beaks does not even explain the origin of beaks, let alone the origin of finches, or that finches could come from something else. I see there's lots of shapes of beaks here this morning. There's big beaks and small beaks and fat beaks and skinny beaks and long beaks and short beaks and you're not evolving into something else, are you? There's the deception. This is the smoke and mirrors of way in which they teach evolution to make kids believe it. But it's a deception. Ah, people say, ah, but the fossils show it. No, they don't. This is actually a diagram from a science journal, a number two science journal in the world after Nature. And we have this diagram comes from (coughs) this particular article, The Evolution of Dinosaurs. Dr Paul Serena was asked to write about the evolution of dinosaurs. He's considered the world's expert in this. And we have all the different sorts of dinosaurs across the top here, Stegosaurus and T-Rex and the sauropods and so on. And a seven-year-old boy is about to tell you all the names of all the different ones. They're fascinated with dinosaurs. What sort of message do they get with dinosaurs? they get an evolutionary message millions of years or do they get a biblical message? There are lots of books available now that get, give them a biblical message. In fact, you can t- use dinosaurs to teach, ev- teach the, the Bible and the Gospel to children in primary school. And they're fascinated and they listen, they're, they're engaged. But here's the thing. This is the evolution of dinosaurs and here it is common ancestor all the dinosaurs down the bottom here. We've got all these lines joining all these different sorts of dinosaurs up here into a big family tree. But here's the deal. Only the black bars are fossil evidence. So this is the fossil evidence down through the rock layers. So we have stegosaurs, for example. Here's the fossil evidence, the dark black bar. The rest of it, the dashed lines and the open bars are actually not fossil evidence. They're imagination. So let's colour in the imagination in red and blue. Right, that's the imagination, not the fossils. And then we erase the imagination. Whoa, what happened to the evolution? Huh? This is just a diagram. This is from a secular journal, right? There's the imagination. Erase the imagination. There's no evidence for evolution. The fossils do not show evolution. There are thousands of fossils of different sorts of dinosaurs, different kinds of dinosaurs, but there are no thousands of fossils showing the family tree. You cannot argue that lack of fossil evidence as an excuse for the lack of evolution because there's plenty of fossil evidence, but it just doesn't show the evolution. So how do we get a T-Rex changing into a bird or a worm changing into a human over millions of years Well, the only mechanism they have is mutation. The bacteria have um, the smallest bacteria that can live. We're talking about about one book of information on the DNA, a book besides a Bible. 
It's a lot of information on a single bacterium, the smallest bacterium that can live, simplest bacterium that can live. A human, we've got a thousand books. So if you're going to change a microbe into a microbiologist, you have to add 999 books of new specifications on the DNA. Specifications for how to make bone and blood and nerves and all the things that we have that microbes don't have. Mutations, though, they're accidental copying mistakes when the information is passed from one generation to the next. Mutations don't create new instructions, they actually destroy the existing ones. They don't make things, they break things. And that's what you'd expect. Mutations are known by the diseases they cause. Some of them are listed here. There's thousands of diseases known to be caused by mutations. There's a whole website, you can look them up, devoted to which mutations cause disease. This one's held up in the school and university textbooks as being a beneficial mutation. How would you like this disease, it's an anemia, how would you like this disease? It's a beneficial mutation. How is it beneficial? Well, if you happen to live in Africa, then because your blood cells are misshapen because of this disease, malaria parasites don't like your blood cells and consequently you don't get malaria. They got this disease, you don't get that disease. That's a benefit. You'd like this beneficial mutation? Not a good idea. You see, if they've got mutations that actually added things, wouldn't they be talking about them? But the mutations they can talk about, so-called beneficial, are breaking things, not making things. Mutations break things, they don't make things. It's impossible. Evolution is an impossible story. Modern operational science tells us evolution is impossible. But it's taught with great vehemence in our universities to the exclusion of anything. In fact, if you are identified as a creationist student, a Christian creationist student, you are held up to ridicule in the university and they'll do their darndest to get you to change your mind because they can't stomach the idea that anybody believes in God. The stuff being discovered by operational science inside our cells is just gobsmackingly incredible. You know, right now inside you there's a little rotary motor spinning around at great speed generating energy or converting energy from one form into another. And this, this is an animation of this uh, a rotary motor. This is very tiny. Your muscle cells have many thousands of these motors in each cell. You need a microscope to see your cells. You can't see these motors with a light microscope. They are so tiny. A hundred thousand would sit side by side in a millimetre. Get that? A hundred thousand would sit side by side in a millimetre and scientists have measured this motor as having 100% efficiency. No such thing. Probably 99.9% efficiency. But here's the deal. It takes an electric current and converts it into chemical energy. So the electrical energy is converted into chemical energy by this rotary motor. The electrical current of protons causes the motor to spin and the spinning is then used to convert an energy compound known as ADP into ATP. It adds a phosphate to it and it adds energy to the compound. So here's the protons. They're much smaller than that, but they're drawn large so you can see them. But uh, the proton current actually drives the motor. This is amazing. It's amazing nanotechnology. These, this components of the motor are proteins and to make proteins you need ATP, which is made by the motor. So this is a catch-22 problem for the origin of life. All living things have this, which means that the first cell had to have it. How did that just make itself? It couldn't. In fact, the, the inf stuff being discovered inside, this is just a tip of the iceberg in terms of the incredible nanotechnology that's being discovered inside living cells. We're just amazingly made, absolutely amazingly made. The creator of these things has an intelligence far above our intelligence. We're coming along, scientists are coming along after the event, scratching around like chooks in the hen house, trying to figure out how it all works and doing a great job of that, mind you. But what about the one who actually invented this? How great is our creator? How great is our God? But are they saying that? No, they're attributing this to evolution made it. 
Yeah? How? How did atoms banging together create life? How did atoms banging together create this incredible nanotechnology? It is plainly ridiculous to suggest this. Modern science, operational science, is screaming at us, there is a creator who made everything. But no, the kids are being indoctrinated in, no, evolution made it, God didn't make it. Here's the thing. Real science we're talking about, evolution says that evolution from microbes to man is an impossible process. But then somebody says, but hang on a minute, the millions of years can't be wrong. I mean, you know, they put a rock in a machine and measure the age of it. No, they can't. You have to make assumptions about the history to do that dating. And they assume the evolution history to start with. I could demonstrate that quite easily. But, you know, the thing that unlocked this for me was to understand the importance of the flood in Genesis to understanding the world history. The flood is a key to understanding history. Genesis 6, 7 and 8 talks about Noah's flood. Noah was instructed to build a massive boat. It was a huge boat. You see the size of it? And compared to uh, people, three decks, uh, it could carry 15,000 tonnes. Um, Korean naval architects found that it was an ideal shape to stay upright in big seas. Because if the, if the Bible says that all the high mountains under the whole heavens are covered with water, I tried to believe that the flood was a local flood. I didn't actually read the Bible too carefully, did I? All the high mountains under the whole heavens are covered with water. The Bible says that the flood was global. Jesus said the flood came and destroyed them all in, in uh, Luke chapter 17. The flood came and destroyed them all. And uh, Noah had to build this massive boat because he had to have the land animals on there. If the flood was local, like I tried to believe at one stage, why would he need even need the boat? He could emigrate. Why would he need to have all the animals in the boat? Why would he need birds in the boat? They could fly to another country in a couple of days. It just makes nonsense of the whole thing. But our theological colleges are telling our future pastors that, oh, this is just a story. Just a story. Just a theological story. No, it was a real event. If, it's not, if it wasn't a real event, you know, Jesus was wrong. In fact, our theological colleges are even saying Jesus was wrong. He was limited by the knowledge of his day. But in, in uh, John chapter 8, verse 58 and other places, Jesus said this. He said, I only speak what the Father tells me to speak. He said, if you don't believe me, you don't believe the Father. So if Jesus got it wrong, the Heavenly Father got it wrong too. Is this dangerous or not? This is incredibly dangerous. We sung in our song a while ago, help me to believe, help me to have faith. This erodes faith, this destroys faith. And many of our young people are going off to Bible college intending to serve God, get equipped, go off and, and serve God as a missionary or as a pastor or a church planter and they have fire in their belly for God. They go into the Bible college, they come out and the fire's gone out because they've had their head full of unbelief, not belief, not faith, but their head full of unbelief. And it, it just angers me. It angers me to know the destruction that's being done by these colleges because they've compromised with evolution and millions of years and they've nullified the word of God. Noah's flood explains the rocks and the fossils without millions of years. Things like dinosaur fossils, dinosaur national monument in the United States, mass kill graveyards all around the world, billions of dead things laid down in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth. You know, if there was a global flood like the Bible talks about, it could not be tranquil. It could not do nothing. You can calculate if all the world is covered in water because of the cir circulation of the currents which would be generated by the, called the Coriolis effect and other things that actually cause the circulation of the atmosphere would also cause the circulation of the water. And you would calculate that water would flow at up to 200 kilometres an hour in places, not all over the earth, but in places would be 200 kilometres an hour. And that sort, that sort of water would change rock into mud in quick time. You would have a massive mud bath like you can never believe. You could restructure the earth. And that's in fact what happened during the flood. There's no way in the world you can have a global flood where the water goes up and the water goes down and there's no evidence for it. That is just impossible. And the flood restructured the earth. 
the continents and the landforms we have today are not what God created back in the garden, back in the time of Genesis chapter 1. It's been restructured. And we find fossil evidence all over the world of massive layers of mud that were formed during the flood. This was in Creation magazine. Here's a horse and a fish buried together in the United States. We see here evidence lots of mud and rapid burial, as in a flood like the Bible talks about. We find rock layers that cover uh, whole continents. This uh, Great Artesian Basin and, uh, in Australia, it covers a massive area. This is sand that's been laid down in water. You see things like the Grand Canyon in the United States, the layer here called the Coconino Sandstone, over 500,000 square kilometres in extent, 100 metres thick on average. There are sand dune structures within the rock which show it was laid down underwater in a matter of days. And layer after layer in the Grand Canyon indicates those layers were laid down in quick time uh, in a massive global flood. Not a local event, not a lake depositing stuff or anything like that. This is Some of these things actually go across whole continents, splitting up of the things during the flood occurred. They travel eastwards from this spot at the Grand Canyon. You get a place called the Klobab Upwarp and you see there the people for scale and you see there where the layers of bent go from horizontal to vertical in a couple of metres. And how does that happen? Because all these layers have been laid down in, in water in the flood and then uh, they, they're claiming that they're laid down over hundreds of millions of years and then the bending. Well, this is the story. This is the evolutionary story, the millions of years story. The bottom layer was laid down 550 million years ago. The top layer was 250 million years ago. The bending didn't occur till 70 million years ago, which is 180 million years after the last stuff was laid down. Folks, can you even imagine a million years? I mean, I've been around for nearly 70 years and that's a long time. Those of you who are only 20 think, yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> but, you know... You look back and you think 70 years is a long time, 68 years is a long time, but what about a 1,000 years? Can anybody imagine even a 1,000 years? Do you know that a million years is a 1,000 times a million, a 1,000 times a 1,000 years is a million years? And they're talking about billions of years, a 1,000 times a 1,000 times a 1,000. Why do they invent it all that time? They didn't find the time, they invented it. Why did they invent it? Because, you see, given enough time, anything's possible. It's possible to believe that microbes became microbiologists. no. The process is impossible, even given all the time they've got. It still doesn't work. They invented the time because it makes it seem... But they invented the time for another reason. The Bible has a time frame. And if you have a different time frame, you can get as established as the real history of the world. People won't believe the Bible, you see, and that's what's happened. The Bible has a time frame. People that tell you the Bible doesn't tell you when, wrong. It does tell you when. And Genesis chapter 5 has a genealogy. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Gives you 1,656 years from creation to the flood. Genesis chapter 11 gives you the time from, from the flood to Abraham. Right? The time frame is there in the six days of creation week. It's clear. Why don't people believe it? Because they've taken on board the evolutionary idea of millions and billions of years. A bizarre amount of time. But think about this. If the bending occurred 180 million years after the last stuff was laid down, how could it still be soft? Because you look at this, this had to be soft when it was bent. Right? All of it had to be soft when it was bent. How could that happen after all this amazing 500... This eliminates 480 million years of imaginary evolutionary time. Just this one observation. And there's observations like that all over the world that say that the time is fiction. It's a myth. If the flood made the rocks contain the fossils, there were no geologic ages. We can see on the earth today some things give us a bit of a window of what could have happened during the flood. This is actually a canyon formed at Mount St Helens Volcano on March 19, 1982. A mud flow flowed down the hill and carved out the canyon in less than a day. Less than a day. And it's called a Little Grand Canyon, a 140th scale model of the Grand The creek is here because the canyon was carved by the mud flow. Can you imagine the mud coming off the land at the end of the flood? The mud flows that would be occurring as the water went back into the seas. 
newly created seas. Here we have uh, the Blue Mountains, not far from here, are they? Everybody's seen them, haven't you? The plateau, the plateau, and you've got the valleys. How did it happen? Well, here's the thing. There would be sheet flow at the end of the flood, creates the plateaus, and then as the water channels, it forms the valleys. The evolutionary story about how this happened doesn't add up. We're going to explain it to you later if you want, to, want the details. But here's the thing. Creation and the fall is the, key to the, is the basis of the gospel in Genesis. Creation, we have, sorry, we have uh, God and man in perfect relationship, no disease, no suffering, no death. It's the garden, it's paradise. Then we have the rebellion when, when uh, Adam rebelled against God and the separation from God, disease, suffering and death entered the world. Then we have the sacrifice of Jesus. He came to undo what the first Adam did. Jesus paid the price for our sin, which is death, by dying on the cross. He was raised from the dead because he conquered death. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he had paid the price and giving us hope and a future. And then we have the new birth. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that tonight, I believe. Uh, who restores relationship and guarantees us an inheritance in eternity. This is, this is the wonderful gospel in the Bible from cover to cover. Genesis' account of creation, the fall, is the foundation stone of the gospel. This guy here does street evangelism. I'm an evangelist. I go around and talk with people, one-on-one conversations in my time, talking to high schoolers. The number one answer I get for them not being a God so they don't have to believe is... Evolution. This is front and centre of the unbelief in our culture. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came to have life and have it abundantly. The thief, Satan, is stealing and killing and destroying using this doctrine of evolution. We're challenged in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so our ministry is about equipping and helping God's people with answers to these questions, to be effective in sharing a faith with those who are perishing. We have a, a vision, which is to see the Lord Jesus Christ honoured as creator and saviour of the world. Is that a good vision? Would you like to be involved with helping achieve that vision? So I would ask you to be involved. Creation Magazine, everybody can share Creation Magazine. Uh, we had it in our home as kids were growing up before I was even involved with the Creation Ministry and our kids benefited from it. Our kids would pick it up because it's so colourful. They'd read the articles they're interested in and it would confirm for them that what we believe as Christians is real truth. It's not just stories. It's real truth. It really happened. These, things, these events are real events. We get lots of feedback from Creation Magazine. You guys make evangelism easy. I just give a Creation Magazine to somebody and then the next time I see them, we talk about it. Call them up, have a coffee, talk about it. It's got here... I was converted when someone gave me a creation magazine. I subscribed for five of my relatives. Four of them are now come to the Lord. I'm not guaranteeing an 80% success rate. That's the sort of thing that happens. And when you get creation magazine, you also get access to digital version of the magazine. You can share that with up each time with up to five different devices. So you just send, send the email with the actual link on it to somebody else and they can open it and read the digital magazine. But here's the deal. A digital magazine doesn't lie around the place looking pretty, does it? A printed magazine is something that people pick up and read because it's sitting there. Digital magazine, they can pick it up and read it, they don't even know it exists. But you can send it to people, they know it exists. But here's the thing, if you have a magazine sitting around. So you can subscribe to the magazine today for a one-year subscription. It comes out four times a year. For a one-year subscription, when you fill out the form in the magazine, there's a form you can pull out. You fill that in and uh, you can get... Uh, this uh, DVD is a bonus when you go up and see, uh, uh, see Ray out the back and pay for it. You get this DVD or for a three-year subscription, you can choose from one of these as well. So you get uh, two DVDs. So the form there looks like this and you can fill it in with your details like this and tick which for what do you want, one or three-year subscription, fill in the details and uh, you get the magazine printed and you also get the access to digital you can share with other people and um, and and uh, so on. So it's um, 
I'll give you 60 seconds to fill out the form. If you don't want to fill out the form, that's fine. Uh, think of a question you might like to ask me afterwards. I'll be very happy to talk to anybody who fill in any, any gaps I've left. There's heaps of gaps, but that's what the magazine can do, fill in the gaps for you. So I'll give you one 60 seconds to do that. Mums and dads might want to talk about that and uh, whether you'd like to, to uh, get the magazine. And, um, and I'm going to have a drink of water while you do that. There's supposed to be some music playing, but that's not happening. So, uh, uh, And I'll come back and just finish off with a couple of thoughts about how this all ties together uh, with the big picture uh, from the Gospel. So you can take those completed forms out there and see, see uh, Ray afterwards and get your free DVDs. There's also out there, you'll see some free material. Uh, there's brochures out there designed to give away. This one here is particularly good for senior high school university students, which is 15 Questions for Evolutionists. This little booklet, uh, Stones and Bones. If you're not a Christian, come and see me, it's free. Okay, it's free if you're not a Christian, come and see me, I'll pay for it. If you're a Christian, you can pay for it. <laughs> People ask about carbon dating. It's mentioned in uh, Stones and Bones, but uh, carbon dating is actually a problem for their millions of years. Carbon dating technique itself, other techniques uh, are used to try and get billions, millions and billions of years, but carbon dating, the problem is that anything older than 50,000 years should have no measurable carbon-14 because carbon-14 breaks down quite quickly. But the thing is that almost every bit of fossil organic material tests it contains measurable carbon-14 and that's even diamonds which are supposed to be billions of years old. If they are millions and billions of years old they should have no carbon-14 present but they consistently do. And carbon-14, this is powerful evidence against millions and billions of years. This is in the Answers book which is a very important book. There are over 65 questions answered in the Answers book like where did God come from, who created God, how to know if it all the animals in the ark, what happened to the dinosaurs, where do dinosaurs fit into the Bible, what about, uh, what about uh, little green men, E.T. and all that. And all sorts of questions are answered in the Answers book. Have a look at that. Refuting evolution refutes all the best arguments for evolution uh, that are used in high school and university. Six days actually designed for young people. Have a look at that. This one's also designed for young people in high school, a question of origins, dealing with the usual things that are taught in school science classes. Exploring Dinosaurs and Mr Hibbs is a children's book but it teaches adults as well about dinosaurs in the Bible. Another children's book is a true story of the world, so the true history of the world from the Bible. At a higher level, this is a senior high school university, is Evolution Achilles Heels, a one and a half hour documentary that half hour is a eight chapters and there's a study guide to go with it, a great thing for youth groups to do. Uh, do one a month one chapter a month and uh, show the 15 minutes from the video, do the study guide. And this guy here said, Jonathan said, the best defence of the Bible and creation I've ever seen. Brian says, I'm just blown away. Wow, wow, wow. There's just an amazing amount of material. This one, Inspiration from Creation, Professor uh, Stuart Burgess from Bristol University, United Kingdom. He's a professor of uh, engineering design. He'll be out here in September in Sydney make sure you organise to come and, and see him. If you get infobites, you'll actually be notified about when he'll be around and they're reminded of it. But uh, his, this DVD is some of the inspiration from creation that he's received uh, from God's creation. Uh, this is a, the last thing I want to mention is, is creation a secondary issue. Dr Martin Williams from the Reformed Theological College in Victoria uh, did this, but uh, it shows how creation and the fall are actually central to the gospel. They're not actually secondary issues at all. So the good news of salvation depends on the bad news of origin of sin and death in Genesis. And so the New Testament talks about 
the new heavens and new earth and the old creation being uh, corrupted. For we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains, pains of childbirth together until now. God didn't create a groaning and suffering. It became that way because of sin. And the verse before that says a creation will be set free from its slavery to corruption. So Jesus' death on the cross will inevitably, in the end, see the restoration of all things. And our passage in Second Peter chapter 3 mentions this. There's a new heavens and new earth. And so we see the big picture here from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible is a perfect world in the beginning, destroyed through sin, the corruption coming through sin, and then in the future there's going to be new heavens and new earth where there's no more death and suffering. Anybody looking forward to that? As you get older, you look forward to it more and more. I can tell you, you young people, you know, you'll get there, you know. So um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus that he came that he died for each one of us, that we need not suffer your wrath in eternity, but we can be forgiven. Thank you for your forgiveness that came through Jesus, that comes through Jesus. I pray, Lord, for anybody who here who doesn't know Jesus, that even this morning they would bow their knee before him and acknowledge their need of forgiveness and receive that forgiveness through him. Be born again of the Holy Spirit. Become part of the family of God forever. And so, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Help us each one, Lord, to trust your word and to be equipped to share it with those who are perishing. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.